0: may be seated. My friend Joshua and I, who has traveled with me, have thoroughly enjoyed our time in Birmingham. I told some of the pastors here yesterday that preachers and pastors in Birmingham, I'm sure, struggle with pride because every single person who walked out yesterday that I met said it was the greatest sermon they had ever heard. Now, (laughs) I know the whole southern hospitality thing, I also know that mask's lying, so um, I'm sure you were blessed, but I doubt that it was the greatest sermon you ever heard, and I asked some people from this church last night that if you ever run into anybody at all from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, please, I'm begging you, please, do not tell them that I preached a 14-minute sermon, because they will expect that. Every week, and that is not what they get. I was told last night that the sermons here are 12 minutes on Sundays, and I apologize for being lengthy yesterday then. Um, It really has been a joy for me to be in Birmingham, to be with you, to be at this church. I want to focus your attention for a few minutes um, this afternoon on Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 14, the apostle Paul writes, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, the gospel of Jesus Christ doxologically declares that because of Christ's finished work for you you already have all of the justification all of the approval all of the security all of the love all of the worth all of the meaning all of the rescue that you long for and that you look for in a thousand things and circumstances that are infinitely smaller than Jesus in other words The gospel announces to us that God relates to sinners, not based on our feats for Jesus, but based on Jesus's feats for us. That Jesus came to liberate us from the force of having to fix ourselves and find ourselves and free ourselves. He came to rescue us from the slavish need to be right and rewarded and regarded and respected. He came to relieve us of the burden that all of us inherently feel to get it done, to make it happen on our own. Because Jesus came to secure for us what we could never secure for ourselves, life No longer has to be a tireless effort to establish ourselves, to validate ourselves, to justify ourselves. Because the gospel announces that it's not on me to ensure that the ultimate verdict on my life is pass and not fail. And this means that you don't have to transform the world to matter. You don't have to get good grades to secure your own worth. You don't have to be a success to justify your existence. What this means is that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won for you, you're free to lose. Because Jesus succeeded for you, you're free to fail. I remember saying that uh, at a conference some time ago and some guy came up to me afterwards he said you just encouraged all of these people to fail I said that's not at all what I said I'm simply acknowledging the fact that they were doing just fine at failing before they got here and that if they are in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation when we fail which is good news because we are all the time in a thousand different ways now this begs a question all of this good news begs a question This is remarkable news. This this takes the pressure off of us to make things happen on our own. This takes the pressure off of us to fix ourselves and to fix other people. This this relieves us of big burdens. And Jesus said that's what he came to do in Luke chapter 4. I came to set the captives free. But it begs a question. Does Does this undomesticated message of unconditional grace lead to laziness i mean does this generate apathy does it does it promote an i don't care posture to life because that's always the charge against those who who preach grace against those who champion the cause of grace the charge is always if you let this wild dog out of its cage everything's going everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket We have to be very careful. When I listen to Christian people talk about grace, I listen for two things. I listen for buts and breaks. Yes, grace, but. In fact, I grew up in a church where I heard more about what grace wasn't, because people were scared of it, than what it was. It was grace with footnotes and qualifications. It was grace with the tapping of the brakes every time it was mentioned. So... It begs the question, if this is true, if the radicality of God's unconditional grace, if the hilarity of grace is true, if it's true that Jesus paid it all, that it is finished, that my value, worth, security, freedom, justification, and so on is forever fixed, then why do anything? I mean, doesn't grace undercut ambition? Doesn't the gospel weaken effort? It's a legitimate question. An understandable question. fact of the matter is, however, though, the gospel of grace actually empowers risk-taking effort and neighbor-embracing love. Because, and this is true for you as it is for me, the thing that prevents us from taking risks, all of us, the thing that prevents us from taking risks is the fear that if we don't succeed, then we will... We will miss out. We will lose out on something that we need in order to be happy. And so we live life playing our cards close to the chest. Relationally, vocationally, spiritually. We measure our investments very, very carefully because we need a return. We're afraid to give because it might not work out and we need it to work out. So we're afraid to give love unconditionally because we might not get love in return. We're afraid afraid to give because we're, we're afraid we might be taken. And in fact, I was telling a group of small group leaders from this church last night that every single attempt on our part to fix someone else, is actually a subtle attempt to fix ourselves. I need you to become a certain way if I'm going to be happy. And so we live in a world of conditionality. I will do so much for you if you do so much for me. And that forces us to measure our investments. We measure the risks that we take. We don't take big risks. We take small risks. We only make investments and we only take risks that will guarantee some sort of a return on the risk that we've I see this in marriage all the time. Husbands, wives, afraid to give love because they're afraid they might not get love in return. Well, because everything we need in Christ we already possess, we can take great risks, push harder, go further, and leave it all on the field without fear. That's what grace empowers us to do. We can invest, in other words, relationally, spiritually, vocationally, with reckless abandon because we don't need to ensure a return of success, love, meaning, validation, and approval. We can invest without needing anything in return. And that means this, that we can invest freely and forcefully because in the person of Jesus, we have been freely and forcefully invested in. That's incredibly liberating because the fear of not knowing what might be returned is replaced by the freedom of knowing that we already have everything. It's the illustration I used yesterday about the keys being in our pocket. We spend our lives frantically searching under every rock and behind every tree for something to establish us, justify us, set us free, validate our existence. We look under... Every rock and behind every tree to get happiness and satisfaction and security and all of those things. And and the word of the gospel comes our way minus our merit and says the keys are in your pocket. Everything you need you already have in Christ. So because everything I need in Christ I already possess, I am now free to do everything for you without needing you to do anything for me. You take that dynamic, that powerful, grace-driven dynamic into a marriage, it changes everything. You take that into the context of parenting, it changes everything. It changes everything relationally across the board. Because now I can actively spend my life giving instead of taking, going to the back instead of getting to the front, sacrificing myself for you instead of sacrificing you for me. So the gospel alone liberates you to live a life of scandalous generosity, unrestrained sacrifice, uncommon valor, and unbounded courage. Because when you don't have anything to lose, you discover something wonderful. You're free to take great risks. Without fear, without reservation. And this is the difference between approaching all of life from salvation and approaching all of life for salvation. There's a huge difference between those two things. This is the difference between approaching all of life from our acceptance instead of approaching all of life in order to get acceptance. This is the difference between approaching all of life from the vantage point of love that we've already been perfectly loved instead of the slavery of spending our lives trying to get love. Now we're free to give it So the only logical question to ask in light of the finishedness of Christ's work for us is this. So what are you going to do now that you don't have to do anything? And once your heart wrestles with that question, as mine did a number of years ago, understanding the radicality of this gospel, James Montgomery Boyce, who was... Uh, Pastor at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years until he died said that Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is not only the central thesis of the book of Romans it's the central thesis of the entire Bible if that is true then it forces us to ask this question about life, life on the ground what are we going to do How are we going to live now that we don't have to do anything? Once that sinks down deep into our bones, we begin to understand the freedom that the gospel gives us to spend our lives going to the back instead of getting to the front. I want to close with this. My son Nathan, when he was in second grade, he's now a sophomore, going to be a junior next year, But when he was in second grade, his entire class had to memorize this. And they recited it together for all the parents one morning at their chapel. And it was a remarkable thing to hear a group of, you know, 40 or 50 second graders reciting this. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I I think it really does get to the heart of the kind of life that God's grace produces. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast, the decision has been made, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Therefore, I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present is empowered, and my future is secure. I'm done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, praise, or popularity. I don't have to win, be first, be right, recognized, rewarded, or regarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, love with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My goal is God's glory. My face is set. My pace is fast. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, and spoken up for the cause of God's radical grace. I will go till he comes, give till I drop, and work till he stops me. Christ has qualified me to be a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I am his and he is mine. Hearing that from a group of second graders helped me understand, maybe for the first time, the kind of life that only grace has the power to produce. God gives us two words. He gives us law and he gives us gospel, but both have very, very unique job descriptions and both do very, very different things. The law may may be able to show us what a sanctified life looks like, but it does not have the power to sanctify. Try it with your teenagers and see what happens. (laughs) Only grace has the power to transform, to sanctify, and to set free. You can only live this focused And free when your heart grasps the radicality of God's love to you. That everything you could ever possibly need and long for are already yours. So you no longer have to spend your life trying to get. Trying to fix. Trying to achieve. Trying to accomplish. Pretending that you're doing better than you are so that you can solicit respect from your peers. A lot of pretenders inside the church, a lot of mask wearing goes on. And the reason is because we don't get the gospel. And the freedom, the freedom to be okay with not being okay. And more importantly, the freedom to be okay with the fact that others are not okay. Jesus has done for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. Let's pray together. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts and our minds to see and to savor your amazing grace. Overpower our unbelief and by your Spirit cause us to believe that this good word is not too good to be true. I pray that you would set us free, and that we would leave here today feeling lighter and liberated. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.